0: I love, I love that we've been able to take four weeks to look at the, the music of the Bible because music has this wonderful way of connecting to our souls, connecting to our emotions. I don't know about you. But on a warm day, as I am driving home on Lakeshore Drive, if it is beautiful out, I love to lower my windows, turn up the volume, and blast some Billy Joel. That's, that's my soul. That, 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 that's what connects with me. Uh, maybe for you, it's different. On a relaxed day or an exhausted day, uh, it's Taylor Swift or Bruno Mars, Chuck Berry or Patti LaBelle. Maybe Lauren Daigle or Stephen Curtis Chapman. Some music helps us to to relax, rejoice, and and other music can be deeply therapeutic. That's the the kind of song we're going to be looking at today in our series, Songs of Life. Therapeutic song. You know, right before the pandemic started, I was struggling with some severe back pain. Couldn't move. Couldn't hug. really awful, uh, and my doctor prescribed, for, prescribed something for me that I was really excited about. He said, Eric, I'm going to send you for a therapeutic massage. Now I, I heard that, and my face lit up, I was smiling big, and the doctor recognized that I, I clearly didn't understand something, so he wanted to dissuade me of any false notions. He said, Eric, just so you know, therapeutic means healing, not relaxing. Now, just a couple weeks later, when I went for, for this procedure, it only took two minutes for words to begin to come to mind that I did not know were in my vocabulary. As this man began to, to push and knead areas under my shoulder blades that I didn't know existed, gibberish pleads came from my mouth to, to ask him to stop. It was not relaxing. But it was healing, and I was desperate for healing, so I took the therapy. Psalm 42—that's our psalm this morning, you can open up there—is written from the perspective of someone who is desperate for spiritual healing. Desperate to to be delivered from their, their spiritual despair. This morning, we're going to seek to do some therapy for desperate souls. I don't think, though, this is how we've, we've often looked at, at Psalm 42, right? I mean, if you, if you look there with me, Psalm 42, verse 1, it begins, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul. For you, O oh God. And we've, we've seen this verse in many ways. We've seen it plastered onto coffee mugs, knit into throw pillows with a, a tranquil scene of a docile deer gently lapping at a river in an enchanted forest. But that's not the picture that our psalmist is painting. This is no docile deer. The deer that the psalmist is painting is panting. In this psalm, the deer is, is frantic and dehydrated, searching for some means of sustenance. That's the, the image the writer wants to use to communicate his spiritual state. Maybe you've been here. You felt like this in your spiritual life, like your prayers are bouncing off of some glass ceiling your Bible reading is just coming up empty, feels like wasted time, you're craving some experience of God, but right now you're dry and empty. My friends, I want you to know that you are not the first people to feel this way if that's you. No, God's people have have felt this from time to time throughout history. The Old Testament prophet Elijah cried out in his despair in 1 Kings 19. He said, I have had enough, Lord, take my life. We we had the the text read for us earlier in Psalm 63 by King David when he said, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. From the famous 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon to Mother Teresa. God's people have battled despair. It's it's not a marker of spiritual immaturity. It's part of life in a broken world. And it seems this is what our psalmist is experiencing. I mean, again, look at verse 2. He says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? God. Some of you have a footnote in your Bibles that says that another way that could be translated is, when shall I yield and see the face of God? What he's saying is, when can I just be done with this life and move on to the next? Verse 3, his tears have been his food day and night. Have you been there? Do you, do you know someone who has? The stresses of everyday life have gotten to be so much. The loneliness is overwhelming. You've lost your appetite. No one understands you. All joy feels as though it's been robbed. In in June of this past year, Psychiatric Services teamed up with the United States Census Bureau and found that 40% of Americans reported symptoms of depression and anxiety this past year. And more than a quarter of those said that they lacked any mental health support. No place to turn. Many, many hid this from their friends and family. Listen, I get it. It may not be you today. Today might be a Billy Joel day for you. But at some point, we all face moments like this. And statistically, right now, it's those around you. Your friends, your family, your neighbors. So whether it's you or, or someone that you are called to love, I want us to see today that the way forward for those who are desperate like the deer, the way towards soul-sustaining water is found in Jesus. Would you look at verse 4 with me? The psalmist says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. You see, after he processes his present predicament, searching for for water and spiritual desperation, the psalmist shifts to thinking about the past. This isn't how things have always been. He used to be full of joy, singing praise. He wasn't searching for God. He was in the house of God. The psalmist is is remembering that he was most joyful in God when he was with the community of God. Don't don't miss the point that he's making. Look down at the text. He he talks about being with the throng, the large crowds, a multitude, he says. You see, throughout history, God has chosen to meet his people in worshipful community. For the Israelites— he made himself known in the temple where his chosen people would gather for festival. The gathering was, was key for the Israelites to have a fresh experience of God. And the psalmist experienced God in that place. Now, I know we don't have a temple to gather in today. So, so how do we today sing Psalm 42 with any sincerity? Friends, in Jesus... We have the joyful presence of God through his body, the church, the worshipful community of Jesus. Water for desperate souls is found in the community of Jesus. If you've been struggling to experience the presence of Christ, there is no better place than to look to his body, the church. That's the purpose of the body metaphor that that Paul is using in Romans 12 when he says, as Christ's body, that we are supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We are called to love one another in this way. Now listen, I know this is difficult because depression by its very nature is isolating. Depression causes us to Withdraw from the world, and the withdraw- withdrawal only causes greater depression. It's a vicious cycle, right? We, we decide to be alone because we feel alone, and then we feel alone because we are alone. But we have a choice in these moments regarding how we relate to the past. Again, look at the psalm. He says, these things I remember. He's remembering, and he could either let the past serve as an anchor causing him to reminisce about the good old days, or it can serve as a rudder pushing him toward loving and joyful community once again. Are you desperate? Find healing water in the community of Jesus. Be present in the community of God. Are you withdrawing? It's time to make a change. I understand everyone's situation is different. But if you're able and ready, I want to challenge you today, no matter where you are, online, in person, to take just a step. If you're sitting in the same row, week after week and never speaking to anyone, sneaking out during the closing song, join a community. If it's too much to be a part of a large group, join a small group. If it would be medically unwise for you to come to a group in person, join a Zoom group. But friends, you need somebody. We need to be together. We need to be in community. Remember, the first thing that God ever said was not good in this universe was loneliness. It is not good that a person should be alone. We were made for one another. And in Christ— We are part of one another so that we might know and experience him more fully. Are you thirsting for the presence of God? Find water for your parched soul in the community of Jesus and gather. Our psalmist continues. Look at verse 5 with me. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? We'll stop there for just a second. Uh, there was a, a British pastor, late British pastor named D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who makes a, a wonderful point uh, about this verse in a book that he wrote called Spiritual Depression. He said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? You see, our, our psalmist here is taking a break from constantly listening to himself. His soul was playing a broken record that sang, turmoil, 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 over and over again in his head. They say to me all the day long, where is your God? Where is your God? Where is your God? We, we do this, right? That girl that, that said something to you in the fifth grade, that comment you overheard in the hall that you're pretty sure was about you, that attack. Or insult that that cut deep because there's a part of you that believes it's it's true. I don't know about you, but I've I've got an internal record playing in my head that that goes over and over again. The record sings the same song. Eric, you're not good enough. Eric, you're you're just not good enough. Do you have one of those playing in your head too? Yourself is condemning you on loop. We try all sorts of things to help with this, right? We, We try distracting ourselves with Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus, ignoring it or self-medicating to drown it out. But once that distraction is gone and the self-medicating wears off, the record is just as loud as ever. Friends, what we need to do is treat that record like the awkward voicemail you just left. Press three, erase, and re-record. That's what our psalmist does. He does not allow his soul to have the last word. He sings a new song to himself. Look at verse six. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I love this section because uh, <laughs> the psalmist is not just preaching false things to himself. No, he's he's very much based in reality. I mean, look how he starts. He starts by admitting: listen, my soul is cast down. But it doesn't end there. He says, therefore, therefore, I'm going to do something about it. He, he recognizes in verse 7 that he feels as though waves are coming over him. He, he can't catch a break. He is overwhelmed. But he's saying still, even with all of life's woes, he can sing a better song to his soul than his soul can sing to him. I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon. From Mount Mizar, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. You see, our psalmist sings water to his desperate soul with the promises of God, the promise that, that God is present, the promise that he is loved. Listen, if your soul is speaking to you all kinds of discouraging words today, know that water for desperate souls is found in the promises of Jesus. You see, these promises here in this text are are for the Israelites as God's chosen people. They could depend on it, that God loved them, that God was with them. And through Christ, we also can take hold of these promises. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Lord commands His steadfast love toward you. For those who are in Christ, the promise in Romans 8:38 is that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, not death, not life, not angels, not demons. Nothing will separate us. Friends preach His love to yourself. The psalmist goes on to say, "If you look, he says, "At night, his song is with me." And you know, I never actually understood what what that verse meant. I'd read it over and over again, but I never really grasped the full meaning, I think, until my daughter came along. When she and my son were born, uh, I wrote each of them a little lullaby for Cece, my daughter. uh, The the song starts with her name, Cecilia Magdalena, and then goes on to explain how much I love her. She was having trouble when she was uh, around one years old. She uh, was really struggling to to sleep at night. And so we decided that we were gonna play this song for her on the baby monitor uh, on loop. On those nights when she was crying, desperate for our presence, afraid of the darkness and the shadows at her window. When her song came on the baby monitor, Cecilia Magdalena, she knew I was watching her. She knew that even when she couldn't see me, that I could see her and loved her. And almost every time when we when we'd put it on, when she'd hear the song, she would rest her head and go to sleep. Now, there have been nights over the past three and a half years when the baby monitor wasn't working just right, the Wi-Fi was was off, and so we couldn't play the song. And it was so annoying, but I wanted to know, like, is my daughter asleep? And so I would put my my ear to her door, and and occasionally I would hear her singing to herself, Cecilia (laughs) Magdalena. She was singing the promise of her daddy to herself in the night. Friends, this is what we must do. This is our promise in Christ. God sings over us with his loving presence. We need to sing it to ourselves. The prophet Zephaniah echoes this, saying that God sings over his people. He says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. you're a follower of Christ, Jesus' promise to you in Matthew 28, 20 is the same. I am with you always to the end of the age. Even when you feel alone, he's there watching. Psalm 56, 8 says, you have kept count of my tossings in the night. You've collected my tears in your bottle. He is not ambivalent to our suffering. He stands over us with tender love. Friends, we need to preach these promises to our souls. Water for desperate souls is found in the community of Jesus that we need to gather into. It's found in the promises of Jesus that we need to preach and sing to ourselves. And water for desperate souls is found in the cry of Jesus that we must echo. Look with me at verse 9 verse 9, the psalmist says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? When I had just come on staff years ago to the Moody Church, I had a, a gentleman in my office who was struggling with severe depression and had just recently been diagnosed with a, a physical disability that was affecting his mobility, and he was struggling. Toward the end of our, our time together that day, he said to me, he said, Pastor Eric, I, I don't know if this is right, but I'm just so angry at God. I want to yell at him. Is that okay? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Just as I was honest with him, I told him, I don't know, uh, but can I get back to you? And so, we made an appointment for the next week, and uh, I I was searching and trying to understand because I I didn't want to say no, but I didn't want to say yes. And I I found somewhere this, this helpful advice from a pastor in Minneapolis named John Piper. He said, it is never right to be angry with God, but it is always wrong if you are angry with God not to tell Him. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying we're never in the right when we're angry with God. Never does God look at us in our anger and say, "Oop, you're right, my bad. No, we're never in the right when we're angry at Him, but we're always in the wrong when we conceal our anger in hypocrisy. God wants us to cry out to Him, to share our confusion with Him, to speak our frustrations with Him. God wants an authentic relationship with His people. And this is what this psalm leads us to. Look at the verse, why have you forgotten me? The psalmist says, why? And I know it feels really weird, right? To ask God, why? For some reason, many of us in the church have have gotten into our heads that a marker of spiritual maturity is to no longer have questions. It's a marker of spiritual maturity that, that we face suffering and difficulties and just grin and bear it. But if that were so, I don't believe God would have put these words in the songbook of Israel. He he gave them these words so that they might feel the freedom to sing their frustrations out to him. Quite a few times I've heard people say, oh, you shouldn't ask God why. Who are we to, to question God? Don't ask why, they say. They say, rather ask what? What God do you want to teach me? Now hear me, it's okay to ask God what he wants to teach you, that's good. But equally, if not more important, is it that we ask why? Why are things not the way they're supposed to be? Why do I not feel your presence? Going to God with these questions is called lament and it's a holy exercise. When we ask God why, We're not simply asking a question. What we're doing is proclaiming the brokenness of this world and the belief that God did not intend it to be this way. When we don't ask why, what we're doing is telling ourselves and the world around us that brokenness is a natural part of life, but it's not. When we're confronted with brokenness, we need to stop saying, well, that's life. It's not life. It's death, and it should be lamented. Even Jesus himself recites a lament song in Psalm 22. As he's hanging on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In doing so, he serves as an example for us to echo. Now I know there's a a difference between Jesus' lament and ours. On the cross, Jesus actually was forsaken so that we might be accepted. But similarly, on the cross, Jesus cried out so that we might be heard in our cries. He lamented so that God might hear our laments. When you drink the water of Jesus' lament, asking why, you remind yourself and others that God created something so much better. This is not life, but true life is available in Jesus. Water for desperate souls is is found in the community of Jesus, so gather. It's found in the promises of Jesus, so preach and sing them to yourself. It's found in the cry of Jesus, so ask and lament. And one last place I want us to to see this morning— Water for the desperate soul is found in the hope of Jesus. Look at the last verse with me, would you? Verse 11. The psalmist says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the chorus of the song. repeats twice, you saw it before. First the the questioning of his soul and then the command to his soul. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Now I don't want us to, to miss what's being said here. The psalmist does not say hope in God and praise him anyway. The chorus says, I shall again. Do you hear that? Do you see it? Circle it, underline it. I shall again. He's saying, I believe in the day when praise will once again be on my lips. You see, often in the church, we have have these two unhelpful tendencies when we're not wanting to praise. We either try to be right or we try to be real. When we, we try to be right, we basically take the mentality of fake it till you make it. We sing praise to God with our lips, hoping that our mind and uh, heart will catch up. Now, sometimes this works, but often when we come face-to-face with our troubles again, the praise disappears. The other option is we try to be real. We tell ourselves, hey, listen, I'm just going to be real. Uh, But what that really means is we're going to opt out. We say we'll, we'll come to praise when we feel like it but right now we're just gonna do our own thing. And what we end up doing is withdrawing from our relationship with God. We withdraw from Christ's body in the church and begin to give God the cold shoulder with the exception of a few requests now and then. But our Psalm here shows us a third way. The way that our, our Psalmist takes is hope. He's not praising God in this moment. He has no hallelujah and he's not faking it. But he's not opting out either. Instead, he is worshiping God through hope. I shall again praise him. He looks forward to the day when a Psalm 40 says, God will put a new song of praise in his mouth. The psalmist is is desperate to praise him, but life right now is hard. The dark cloud of despair is overshadowing all of God's praiseworthy attributes. In these moments, if you're there, don't fake it and don't opt out. Instead, hold out and sing hope. Now, let me clarify I'm I'm not talking about hope like you're hoping you'll win the lottery. That's desire, not hope. Hope in the Bible is synonymous with expectation. The writer of Psalm 42 hopes in the day that he will praise God again. And by hoping, he means that he looks forward to the day when it'll actually happen. You see, too often we're we're ready to accept and adapt. But hope is not satisfaction with the way things are. Hope is not getting used to it. Hope is not accepting brokenness as the new normal. No, hope is willing the willingness to raise your expectations of what the peace and joy of God, its presence, will be. Gathering with the expectation to meet him, preaching to yourself his promises that are yours, crying to him and believing he hears, and holding out hope that joy will be restored. Now, I know holding out hope when your soul is cast down can, can feel pretty foolish. That internal record will mock you, right? And you wonder, what, what, what can hope even do? In the classic book, Don Quixote, by Miguel Cervantes, There's this scene where Alonzo, a guy who loses his mind, becomes a knight errant in order to restore chivalry, uh, is is mocked by by people. And he's mocked endlessly throughout the story. But there's this, this one scene where someone begins to mock him for his hope. And in this moment, Alonzo regains lucidity and speaks perhaps the most profound line in the entirety of the story. He asks Am I to surrender hope? This may be madness. Too much sanity may be madness. And maddest of all is to see life as it is and not as it ought to be." Did you you hear Alonzo's profound truth? Maddest of all is to see life as it is and not as it ought to be. Is your soul desperate for water? Turn to the hope of Jesus, the hope that Christ will make life as it ought to be and not as it is. This is the hope that that Christ's followers have, as it says in, in Revelation 21, that he will undo every sad thing. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things will have passed away. Are you panting for God like a deer for the water? Let your thirst be quenched in Jesus, gathering in his community, preaching to your soul his promises, lamenting alongside his cry, and anticipating the hope he brings. Are you desperate? Have you tried way after way of finding rest only to be disappointed again and again? Look to Jesus. In the Gospel of John, chapter 4, there's a famous story of a Samaritan woman with a cast down soul in turmoil who comes to a well at midday, thirsting for water, withdrawn and isolated from society, feeling the depth of her sin, internal and external voices calling to her, saying, Where is your God? I see no God in your life." And then God spoke to her. Jesus spoke to her and offered himself, living water, water that quenches our eternal thirst. Are you, as the desperate, panting deer, searching for the water, friends? Jesus is the water. Turn to him, drink from him, and live. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we are desperate souls living in a world that is, but not as it ought to be. Draw us to yourself remind us of your promises meet us lord through your truth through your son jesus and quench our thirst we pray in jesus name amen